Hey, I'm Erin Bridgman, a money mindset and management coach for the creative entrepreneur. I'm the girl behind the Wealthy Woman movement that's reaching thousands and expanding each and every month. And I'm so glad you've decided to join this community too. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman podcast for creative female entrepreneurs looking to get strategic with their money. I believe that wealthy women will change the world. And in this podcast, we include money-related mindset and management tips and practical business advice you can apply right away. No fluff here. It's time to take action. Let me shoot it to you straight. Talking about money is like talking about sex. It's vulnerable and uncomfortable, but so necessary. And that's why I've created a judgment-free zone where women like you can trade the shame and money skeletons in your closet with empowerment and confidence that helps you master your money. I'm both the creative and the nerd, the no bullshit friend and your hype girl. And I'm excited to be your guide on your money journey. All your dreams are tied to money. So it's time to get that money working for you so you can make your dreams a reality together. Your business should be the catalyst to living your dream life. So don't let your money be the obstacle. Grab your notebook and your favorite drink and let's dive in. Hello, wealthy women, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I feel so incredibly honored to have Ellen join us, and we're going to have a really fun conversation around pitching and getting visible. Ellen is the founder and host of Cubicle to CEO, a top 1% podcast and media platform creating financial transparency, content, events, education, empowering entrepreneurs to pursue what's possible. Ellen quit her corporate job without a backup plan and bootstrapped her first $300 freelance project into over $2 million in revenue by age 28. Ellen has mentored more than 10,000 students through her online programs and owns the Cubicle to CEO Clubhouse, a woman's co-working space in Salem, Oregon. Her work has been featured in Forbes, The Today Show, Yahoo Finance, and 100 plus other publications. Tune into the Cubicle to CEO every Monday on your favorite podcast player to hear Ellen ask successful entrepreneurs the business questions you can't Google. Yeah, that's a very impressive bio and sitting right across from me smiling is Ellen. Ellen, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Erin, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. It's been so much fun getting to know you since we met in Dallas a couple months ago. And oh, it's actually so interesting hearing you read back the bio because my podcast producer sent it. It's crazy. As you know, in entrepreneurship, things move in light years, kind of like dog years, like one year or seven years. And even since we met in January, it's it's wild. But I just actually announced that I'm closing my clubhouse, my women's co-working space. So we can talk about that if you want today in a little bit. Just another reminder to all your listeners that entrepreneurship is an evolution and it's okay to try things and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. So anyways, great to be here. (laughs) And it's so, you know what? I like that we read the bio that's a little bit outdated because that's such a cool part of your story and part of your journey. I know it's been a huge part of how you've made impact, but also giving people permission to pivot, I think is so important because it is an ever-changing landscape. And I find myself in, you know, right now in my season, I'm a lot more focused in real estate than I can be in my coaching business. And, you know, that's life and that seasons. And that's how it goes, right? It is. Yeah. You're so right. And I love what you said, permission to pivot. I think that's like a permission slip we all need to give ourselves. Yeah. I love it. Well, Ellen, you are such a heart-centered woman, first of all, and I feel so honored to have you on the show. And I got to witness hearing you give so much incredible, tangible knowledge around pitching, around getting visible at the conference in January. And for those who are wondering what conference, we're talking about the Creative Educators Conference with Laylee, and she'll be on the show as well. And it's amazing. I love that conference. It was awesome. So check that out. But I want to kind of like pretend we were going to create new fresh ahas and content, but I want that to be what we talk about today is just really getting to dive into the power of pitching yourself, what that does for a brand, what that does for people who are listening, who are wanting to grow their audience. So let's just start from a high level. What have you seen be transformative for yourself or for people that you've worked with in How have they gone in growing their audience because of pitches that they've landed? And why is that important for people to be doing? Well, pitching is so powerful because that's really what business is about is making asks and providing solutions, right? And so when you think about pitching in 
I mean, pitching in all of its forms, not just pitching yourself for press, but also pitching yourself for collaborations, for a sale, pitching a client, pitching your peers, pitching a mentor, like whatever it is, getting people to see your vision for something and come on board. I think persuasion is such a valuable life skill that we can really use in all areas of our business and our life. But as far as particular to press, how I think it's so powerful is because when you're building a business, especially when you're starting out, you have limited resources and typically limited reach, right? In terms of your audience and while community building and audience building is so integral to the long-term success of your business, it is also something that usually takes quite a bit of time. And while you're going through the process of building your audience, you can't necessarily just sit on the sidelines and wait to make any money or wait to sell anything until you have a sizable audience, right? Because as we know, cash flow is really the oxygen to our businesses. So what is your alternative solution in the meantime? Well, in my opinion, I think the best way to go about that in a way that doesn't require you to have, let's say, a budget for ads or anything of that sort is to actually leverage other people's audiences, to get in front of pre-existing built audiences who share a similar need or interest to whatever it is that you provide as a business. So I love teaching other people how to do that, how to get in front of those established audiences, whether that's through traditional forms of media or whether that's through my favorite form, which is of course, podcast guesting. Yes. And I want to talk specifically about podcast guesting and kind of like go in that lane for me. That's something I took on about a year and a half ago. I started getting pitched and pitching myself for different podcasts to be guests on different shows. And I was on probably last year, over 30 different shows and just the natural, like you build relationships with the host Mm -hmm. and then they ask you to come in and can you speak in my mastermind? Could you come to this online summit? And just like, I think it's just such a organic organic relational way to grow. So talk to us about why you think right now in the 2023 landscape for the listener who's, you know, a creative entrepreneur making around that $100,000 revenue mark. Why podcasting? Why should they work to get on podcasts? Why is that like your favorite? Well, the stats actually prove it. It's very interesting. Podcasting, first of all, is like the number one growing space in media. And then also what's really interesting is they've done a lot of tests on who podcast listeners are. And the results show that podcast listeners on average are more highly educated, younger, and tend to make more money than their peers in almost any other form of media consumption. In other words, podcast listeners are likely to be highly engaged and also likely to take action on what they hear. In fact, I think there was a survey that showed like one in two podcast listeners have actually directly purchased something from you know, a podcast, something, a brand that they heard about or were introduced to through a podcast. And that's really, really powerful. So I love podcasting on that side of things, but I also especially love podcast guesting for all the reasons that you mentioned for the relationship building. I think podcasting is the most underrated, underutilized networking tool and not networking in the sense of, let me give you my business card, you give me yours. And it's very transactional, but really truly about relationship building, because there's something magical that happens when you sit across from someone, whether virtually or in person over an hour, and you really get to have these deep conversations. And it's, it's, connection forming both between you and the host, but also for the listener, like someone spending an hour of their time and giving you that precious resource of theirs to have you in their ear. Like you all are listening to this today. Super grateful for your time. Thank you. This is just something that's very hard to replicate in any other content medium. It's so true. I I love that. Like us, before we pressed record on this, we're talking about the wedding that you're planning in August. And I like immediately fell in love with you in January. And I've been so looking forward to this moment where we got to have the off camera, off mic conversation and just connect and how are you and how is life? And then now we get to have this, you know, it's so fun as the host or the person coming on to the show. I mean, I truly have made true friends in the industry being complete stranger coming onto their show and us just having this chemistry and 
I think you have to trust that magic too of like mm-hmm. that's gonna happen. There are some shows you go on and you're like, okay, I hope that serves somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but so many times it is such a cool thing that can happen and that can come from it. And then I love all the data and the stats that you have for mm-hmm. who's listening to the podcast and why that's impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I actually did a whole presentation with a bunch of stats on this. I'll have to bring it in sometime, but off the top of my head, those are the big ones to remember. So you have a very successful podcast yourself Mm -hmm. and you see a lot of people sending in pitches Mm -hmm. to you and you say yes to some and no (laughs) to probably a lot. Can you give us some inside scoop as to some of the worst things that you see in pitching Mm -hmm. and some of your best advice as well when it comes to pitching? Absolutely. I could talk about this all day. If we can all save the world collectively from bad podcast pitches, we're winning. Okay. (laughs) So, and I've noticed since having my show and it's super young, it's super little, you know, as of right now, I am getting so many pitches and I literally just archive them. I'm like, this is literally terrible. (laughs) You didn't even spell my name right. Oh, that's the worst part, right? Yes. Pay attention to the small details. Please, you know, treat people's time and their virtual space in their inbox, really treat that with respect. So to your point, some of the worst things I see in podcast pitching, I think probably the number one mistake, well, okay, let's think about it from, from like the whole process, right? When you're sending a pitch to someone, the first thing you have to get that person to do that host or that producer is to actually open your email because if they never open your email, like if it's getting automatically archived or deleted or, you know, they hit spam or whatever, then no matter how great your pitch is, it actually doesn't really matter because they'll never see it. So when you think about your subject line, a lot of people write really generic subject lines, like suggested podcast guest, or I have a great podcast person you should meet, or like, I would like to be interviewed. Anything in that realm is like, you instantly are like, eh, like seen it before, don't need it, right? So what you really want to think about is a subject line that would intrigue someone enough to want to click it. And one of the things I think you can do is actually lead with generous action right from the get-go and show your support for someone before you ever make an ask. And that can start with the subject line. So one of the subject lines I love using personally is something like, hey, left your show a five-star review or like, Hey, can I share your show with my audience of, you know, a hundred thousand women or whatever that looks like. Right. Because of course, if you get an email subject line that comes across your inbox like that, you're like, Oh, do I want someone to share my show? Yes, please. Right. Or, Oh, that's really cool that you left me a five-star review. Thank you so much. I should open this email and see what this is about. So immediately you're building that camaraderie and you're showing up with generosity. Right. And you open that email and then to attach to that, One of the things that you can do with your pitch that will instantly provide value to the host and set you apart from literally 99% of all their pitches is to do exactly that, to attach a screenshot of a rating and review that you left that host. It goes so far to show that you actually invested your time and energy in supporting their show before you just made a blatant ask to be featured on their platform, right? So do that one thing. And I promise you, you're already going to get more responses than Even if you don't change anything else, if you just do that one thing, I really think that will make a huge difference. Now, in terms of some of the other things that I've seen uh, not be done so well is a lot of people make their entire pitch basically just this one long expanded bio, right? It's just like, Hey, I think I'd be a great guest. Or if it's an agent, they're like, my client would be a great guest for you because here's all their accolades and here's all their experience and blah, 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 blah. And that's like the entire pitch. What you have to remember is that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the truth is who you are and all of your amazing accolades, as impressive as they may be, actually matter very little to the host, but more importantly, to the audience the host serves, which is their listeners, right? The host has to bring on a guest that they know is actually going to provide some value to their audience. And your accolades are not what makes that connection for them. And so You really have to lead with understanding how to bring into picture a question or a problem or a conversation that is going to have direct connection to the audience. Your pitch should be about the host audience, not about yourself. So that's another big thing to think about. And then my last big tip that I'll give on how to 
just pitch better is a lot of people will share suggested talking points as, you know, as a potential starter for the host to consider. While I think that is helpful, an even better way to actually do that is instead of listing bullet point uh, sentences or statements, instead to list them as questions. So you're kind of giving the host a sample of what your conversation might actually look like because you're wording it as a question. And the amazing thing about the human brain is the way that we are primed for connection and conversation is that when we read questions, we are so much more curious and so much more likely to want to have a conversation with someone, right? Because your brain literally is reading the question and it's like, oh, like, for example, if I was pitching to be on Aaron's podcast and I was like, Aaron, if you think this is a good fit, here's some of the questions we can answer. Number one, what is the one easy thing you can do to get your email opened and responded to by more podcast hosts? Like Aaron's going to read that question. And I just answered that question, right? It's to attach a screenshot, but like Aaron, if she didn't know that she would read that question and be like, Oh, wait a second. I kind of like selfishly, I kind of want to know what the answer to that question is. So the likelihood that she would actually invite me to be on her show is much higher. So those are just the top three things I think everybody can implement immediately. But if you're like me and you're like, you know, I just want to shortcut the work and get the line by line template. I actually created something called the perfect podcast pitch template. And it's literally word for word, line for line, exactly how I would pitch podcast hosts. And you can just fill in the blanks with your own information. So if you're interested in that, Erin, I'm happy to share a link with your listeners. Yes, we'll definitely link that. And I love what your points are. One, because... I think that some of the stuff you're talking about is core and principles across the board for business, Mm -hmm. like leading with generous action. How can I serve before I make an ask? That is a principle to use. Yes. When you're pitching for podcasts, but just in general Mm -hmm. in life and in business, it's a beautiful thing to do. And hopefully how we want to show up in the world and also going to get you further I think that that's so key. And then what you were talking about around who cares about you and your accolades and all of this, it's really about serving the audience. I mean, that's like if you know people listening, like Donald Miller's story brand and how we should be writing copy for our website and how we should be creating content. It's not about us. We're mm-hmm. not the hero of the story. And so I think that that again is just so key. Thank you for bringing that to light and really showing us practically how we can implement that in our pitching. And then you talked about questions and I, I'm such a Natalie Frank fan and I know you were her like first guest on her podcast. So I love you too. I was like fangirling while I'm listening to it. Like I love them both so much. And of course, Natalie is such a beautiful nerd as well, which I am a too. And so I appreciate that when she brings in the science and the data. And when you guys were talking about humanity and power of questions in the human brain, And will you talk about another part, which is how you end your pitch with a question and how and why that's so important. And we can even link it, but you have a podcast episode where you share like six or seven ways or questions to ask. So we can definitely link that as well. But will you just talk about that a little bit and how, how to end your pitch? Yes. So the, the, the mini episode that you're referring to on cubicle to CEO is the one I it's titled something like stop ending your emails with this conversation killer. So if you just search cubicle to CEO, wherever you're listening to this, you'll be able to find it. It's one of our recent episodes, but basically it's this concept. A lot of people end their emails, whether it's a pitch or just like a regular old email with a statement. And the most common statement people use is let me know if you're interested right? I'm sure every single person listening to this, myself I'm like, included, ah, I do yeah. that sometimes. <laughs> we've, we've all done it. So don't feel bad if that's you, because we've all done it. But here's the thing about that statement. First, it places a lot of extra burden on the person receiving the email, because when you say, let me know if you're interested, you're basically giving someone permission to take a mental rain check on responding to you. Cause they're like, oh, okay, I will let you know if I'm interested somewhere down the line, but it may not be right now, or I may not know exactly what to say to that. So I'll just kind of like leave it as a closed loop. And then someday down the line, if I remember to check in with you, I will actually let you know. But how many times does that happen? Almost never. So the better thing to do is to instead flip any statements into a direct, clear question, because 
again, the way our brains are primed, right? We do not like to leave people hanging. Like if you walked up to someone at the grocery store, right? And you said, Hey, how are you? Very few people are just going to literally stare at you and just turn their back and walk away. Like everybody, just like the automatic response is like, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Or I'm great. How are you? Right. It's just like a human mechanism that we've adopted since birth. And so it's the same thing with an email. When you ask someone a specific question, nobody wants to leave you digitally hanging. So if instead of saying like, let me know if you're interested, if you flip that into a question, like, are you interested in moving forward, forward with this? Or like, what questions do you have? Or like, does this work for you? Which option do you prefer? All of these are much more specific questions that people can easily formulate a response to because they're typically yes, no questions or like pick option A or pick option B, right? And so your response rates are going to be so much higher. And that's what I teach in sales too, is that alternate yes question and how your brain is choosing an option or saying yes versus just no or walking away or whatever. Um, And I think that's so key to just leading with curiosity and having your person like, okay, I can't leave you digitally hanging. I think that's so key. Something that you mentioned earlier was the idea of you doing the pitching versus somebody else doing the pitching. Mm -hmm. And I have done both. Mm -hmm. And I wonder just like, what's your opinion on that? How often do you Mm -hmm. actually find it successful to have somebody, an agency or somebody pitching you versus you pitching yourself? I want to know what you think. I have thoughts, but I want to know what you think. (laughs) I'm going to give an unpopular opinion, or maybe it's a popular sentiment, but probably unpopular to most agencies. I think that, I mean, to be completely honest, most pitches I get from agencies are absolutely terrible. Like I read them and I'm like, you have literally done every single thing in my book that I would never do in a pitch. They're so generic. They're exactly all the things that I stated before. They lead with the bio. It's always these accolades. It's the suggested topics. It's like, let me know if you're interested. Everything, like everything down to the the smallest detail is the opposite of what I think makes a compelling pitch. Now, is that true for all agencies? Is, is that saying like agencies aren't worth it? Absolutely not. It's not the agency model that's broken. I think it's d- dependent on the actual independent company and their pitching practices that can actually um, lead to worse or better results. So I think that outsourcing pitching can actually be very impactful, but you have to make sure that the person that you are delegating this role to actually really understands you, your audience, your values, and more importantly, is actually a good pitcher, which I know sounds like duh, but you'd be surprised how many people just look at an agency and think, oh, they must be pros. They must know what they're doing. But now that you've listened to this episode, you all know better. So maybe if you're thinking of hiring someone, maybe ask them, hey, send me an example pitch. Like, show me what you would potentially share with someone else if you were pitching on my behalf and then kind of look through some of those checkpoints that we discussed and see, do you think this is actually compelling or worth your time or not? So I think it's a gray area. It's dependent on who you're hiring, but at the end of the day, it is true. I think that no one can really tell your story better than you can. And so if you have the capacity to pitch yourself, at least when you're starting to kind of get those first wins under your belt, I think it is a helpful skill to practice and to have. But of course, as your business grows and you inevitably have to let go of some things that may not be your zone of genius per se, I do think there's a great potential for you to outsource it to the right person. I love that. And what I found since I've done both is, and I just want to add to what you said is it's always your role to be the one who's building the relationship. So Mm -hmm. I, and that's what I found is going to conferences and network, you know, that is my job. If I just cold pitched cubicle to CEO, that probably wouldn't go so well Mm -hmm. as building a relationship. You actually know what I'm an expert at. You know who I am in my heart, you know, all that. So I think if you're going to outsource pitching, remember that you are still oftentimes the face of the business and it's your job. You can't outsource relationship building. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's really important. Uh, And I had success with the agency I had for a while. And then it was my turn to kick it up a notch and really lead with myself and what you're saying. You can't replace yourself in that sense. There's still a lot of back end work that even guests who come on this show, like you aren't filling out the forms, right? Somebody else is doing that. You aren't scheduling yourself and stuff. So there's like, just to say, highlight that portion of it is you could be doing some of the front beginning steps. And then you can outsource some of the granular, like behind the scenes work as well. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And to your point, I think that there is a different need in every season. So I'm glad that for the season that you had the agency that really supported your goals and that you saw success with it. And then you saw a moment or an opportunity for you to take it to the next level, like you said. And I think that's, what's amazing about business is that not every solution has to be forever. You can have a solution for right now and a solution for later. So I think you're such a great example of that, Erin. Thanks, Alan. Okay. I have some, now I'm just like going off script and totally being curious and and going rogue here. But so let's say you do all this work. They've opened the email. They read (laughs) it and they saw that we've reviewed all the things that you said, all the best practices. And you're on the show. You come on the show. What have you seen be successful? Because I know we want to come on the show and we want to serve. Like I find mm-hmm. such joy in just getting the opportunity to be like, this doesn't do anything for my business. I know it's literally in the ears of somebody mm-hmm. and hopefully it impacts the listener. But mm-hmm. also as a business woman who has limited time and needs to be strategic, my hope is I'm doing audience growth through that because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work and time. The amount of pitches you have to do in order to actually get on to then you know, sit with the host for an hour and do all the promotion and stuff. Sometimes it's like, wow, I don't know that anything came of that. I'm not sure. Like, do you have any suggestions on being a really good collaborator with Mm. the host and having it really support both of your audiences, you as the guest and obviously them? Absolutely. I think it starts with the intention of why you're even going on podcasts in the first place. Like you have to have a clear direction of what is the next step I want a listener to take with me once they've heard me somewhere on the show, right? So having that intention from the get-go is really helpful because then you can bring it to the host and say, hey, this is my vision for what I would like to be able to leave your audience with during the show, but also here's what I'm thinking as a great next step to support them. How can we structure the conversation in a way that's going to help us do this? And then what do you want to get out of this from having me on the show? Like what, what are you looking for in terms of bringing new listeners to the show? show? Or what do you want your audience to take away from this conversation? Having that collaborative discussion is so key because then it allows both of you to enter the conversation with more intention. So that's number one. But number two to keep in mind is that every show is very different, right? So for example, if I use my own show as an example, Cubicle to CEO is different from a lot of business shows because our tagline is we ask successful entrepreneurs, the business questions you can't Google. So a lot of guests that pitch us come in with the intention of, oh, okay, I'm going to share my founder's journey and talk about you know some bullet points from my area of expertise because that's what happens on a lot of other business shows. But we have to do the work of educating them on, well, what makes our show different is we base each guest interview on a case study. And in that case study, we dive deep into one specific strategy that they've actually implemented in their own business. And then we look at the data around it, like what revenue did it produce? What were some wins? What were some losses in terms of you implementing that specific strategy? And so what often happens is someone may come on our show who's an expert in one thing. For example, one of our fan favorite shows is Amy Porterfield's episode, right? Amy is known in the online space for being a pro in digital course creation. But she didn't come on our show to talk about five ways to create your online course or five ways to sell your online course. No, it wasn't... she talked about her launch, baby. Yes, exactly. She came in and her case study was very specific to one, just like minute. Um, I mean, it's not minute. It was a it's seven a huge point. Win, but... yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a seven point. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a seven point five million dollar launch, but she chopped it up into just that one section, the pre-launch window, the six-week window that led up to that 7.5 million launch. And we went granular, like step-by-step exactly what she did. So it was a very different angle. And she shared like financial data on our show that she literally hasn't even shared on her own show. She said that to me herself. She says, I haven't said this actually to anybody. I'm yeah. like, go, <laughs> let's go, Ellen. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, But yeah, it is requiring our guests to dig deep and be financially transparent, which is the core value across all the content that we create. And not everyone's going to be comfortable with that. Some people are just not a good fit for our show because they're not willing to get that granular, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's different for every show. And that's why it's so important when you are about to be on a show, part of that prep work should be listening to the show and understanding like, what is the type of content? How's it structured? What do they usually talk about? And another pro tip, and this is such an easy thing to do is just go to the show's reviews and actually read like the three to five most recent reviews, because 
Something interesting about reviews is that loyal listeners who actually take the time to write a review, they will often call out what specifically they like about the show. So for example, if you go and read all of our reviews for Cubicle to CEO, you'll notice there's a common thread among almost all of them. And people call out, they like that our show is so financially transparent. That's the number one thing that comes up over and over. So if you read that and you know you're about to come on our show, then you might think to yourself, okay, for me to make the most of this opportunity, I want to bring as much financial data as I can into this conversation. You may not do that for every show, but for this show in particular, you know that would be the best strategy to lead with. So those are some of my tips for how you can really make the most of any guest opportunity. I love that. That's so good. And I remember, I think this is another episode or something that you had. You talk about different ways you can propose compensation for speaking. Yeah. Kind of like a totally different, but I was thinking you're very good at practical. Okay. I'm like, wow, Ellen, that's like, those are really, those are very, you know, whether it's getting to pitch something or add swag to the swag or whatever, you had lots of creative things. What are some creative things that you could as a guest or Mm -hmm. that you've seen guests ask or that you've asked that really helps guests growth goal? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, that's a great question. So We've done some pretty cool things in the past. Sometimes we'll collaborate with our guests where our guests will say, Hey, I'm going to create like a unique gift. That's just for your listeners, but it's only available for like an X window of time. So it really drives that urgency or the action taking Mm -hmm. from our listeners to opt in for something. We've had guests say, Hey, let's extend this collaboration even further and beyond the podcast interview. Like let's have you speak at our summit or for another thing that we're doing. So there's so many ways to go about it. I think, again, it's just really finding that common ground of beyond just audience growth for the guests. Like, again, how does that serve everyone? How can we create like a win, win, win solution around that? Another thing we've done before that's kind of cool with our guests is we've done like Starbucks coffee giveaways where it's like, Hey, if you tune into, for example, you're coming on our show, Aaron, right? Like if you listen to Aaron's episode and you enjoy something from our conversation, leave a review on our podcast and specifically mention Aaron's episode, like one takeaway you got from Aaron in particular, and we'll send you coffee on us or something like that. So you can really think outside the box in terms of how you want to encourage people to participate in conversation with you. You know what I love about what you're saying right now is sometimes we think this is how you're supposed to do business online. And I (laughs) found myself in that where I'm like, okay, Facebook ads, funnels, put money there, hire the marketing strategist, do it this way. And I actually, that was about two years ago and I found myself so far from like my heart and my soul and from me. And I had to take a pause and come back to like, what's me? What's Aaron? And how do I want to grow my business? And what do I care? And just have a brain that's like, what's the ROI on this? What's the data? What's the numbers? Does this make sense? And sometimes you just like kill stuff because it's like, you can't quantify or always see the results of Mm. what comes from a particular relationship or a particular moment. And for me, one thing that I find so magical that just fills my heart is hosting dinner parties for entrepreneurs and hosting different events. And actually that has had great impact in growing my brand and things like that. And so I I guess I'm just saying that to say for those who are listening, I feel like what you're saying, Ellen, is really giving permission to people to be creative in the collaborations, be creative Mm -hmm. in how you promote and like, what's you and what's the host and what's the vibe and the audience and all that. And don't feel like there has to be all you can do is suggest a freebie and link the freebie and your Instagram handle in the show notes. And that's sort of the standard and that's it. You know, there's so many ways to get creative and to continue and just show up online and be you. I love that you really shared how you found your way back to how you uniquely do business, right? Because you're so right. It's so easy to fall in the trap of, oh, this must be the formula because someone else had success with it. But the truth is you don't know all the context surrounding why they made the decisions that they did, the timing of those decisions, who they are as a person, what other resources or privileges they may have had that made it possible. Like That's why I believe context is so key to every single piece of advice. And I try not to share advice without giving some sort of context. And I try not to give blanket statement advice too, either because it's unique to every person, every situation. And Erin, actually, have you taken the new quiz that I just launched last week? 
Oh my no? God. Okay. Because okay. as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm like <laughs> in your dinner parties, I'm like, okay, I think I know which, which CEO style you are, but okay. Just for Ooh, context. I'm going to take quick. it. I'm going to take that. I'll have to DM you what I am, but keep yes, going. Please. Yes, please. So we just launched this brand new quiz and it's all about honing in on your unique genius as a business leader. So this kind of like brought to mind that thing it's called what's your CEO style. It's 10 multiple choice questions. I mean, literally a breeze to get through. You can answer the questions in two minutes. And at the end, it gives you a really in-depth results page that shares with you. Like this is your CEO style. There's four types, the change maker, the magnetic connector, the peacekeeper, and the whip smart achiever. I'm going to call my shot. And I think you are the magnetic connector, (laughs) 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 but we'll see, take the quiz and find out. Um, I personally am the change maker and I'm very curious to know what any of you listening are. So if you're intrigued, go to ellenyin.com slash quiz. You can take the quiz. Like I said, in two minutes and the results page is super detailed and your analytical brain, Aaron, I think will really like it because it it tells you like, these are your top three strengths that you should really lean into in how you do business. And then here are also some potential obstacles, especially around communication that you may have when you are trying to work with people who are different than you. And so anyways, I'm super curious what you get, but I just wanted to throw that out there because it reminded me of that when you were talking about doing business your way. I love that. And everyone listening and all of us love a freaking good quiz. I was just in Jasmine Star. I'm in her mastermind and we were talking about freebies and opt-ins and audience and people were talking about quizzes and how they're so great. And it made me think, oh, interesting. gosh, I had this whole quiz built out about your wealth journey and where you're at and based on what your results are, practical things to do to get mm-hmm. you to that next step. I need to bring that quiz back. People freaking love it. You know, you should have quizzes. Yes, because it's all about self-discovery, right? And becoming more attuned to who you are, your motivations, and how you uniquely get things done. And so, yes, I'm all for personality tests. I can nerd over that stuff all day. I love it. Well, Ellen, you have given us so much gold in this episode around pitching, and I just love your heart in it to lead with generous action to stay curious, to ask questions, to put yourself in the host's shoes and see like, what can I really do to serve their audience and their people? And Mm -hmm. you're just brilliant. Thank you for the practical things that you gave us, how to not get, what do you call it? Digitally. Oh, to not be left digitally hanging. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just the real tangible, like here's a subject line, here's a screenshot to attach, here's the email. Like so amazing. People that are listening can really practically and the way that we can also have the permission to do collaborations our way and what's really unique and fun and how can we be different and a permission to do that. So this has been so wonderful. Thank you, Ellen, for all of your time and knowledge. And it's been great. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's always a joy talking to you. We are going to get into our rapid fire questions around money. But before we do that, I just want to highlight something that you've mentioned about your show, something that I find so beautiful about you and how you run business, something that I love about your cubicle to CEO show, and that is financial transparency. Why has that been such a key component of you, your brand, the content you bring out? Why do you find that to be so important? I think when we normalize conversations around money, we collectively raise our financial IQ. And women have historically been disempowered when it comes to making money, investing money, making differences with money, right? And whatever your relationship with money, it's undeniable that money is a tool that unlocks opportunities. And so I really believe if we put more money in the hands of good-hearted humans, but especially women, because it's been statistically proven that women invest back into their communities more than men do who earn the same amounts of money. So I think we really change the world through the opportunities that money unlocks. And for me, particularly, you know, what Aaron is referencing is I've been publicly sharing my income reports for the business for four years now. So since 2019. And so every 90 days, I come on our podcast, Cubicle the CEO, and I share exactly what our business made, spent, and profited in the last quarter. And I give the full context around it, any lessons I've learned. And it's been such an amazing journey, even for myself, because I've documented this for so long, going back and listening to something from like three or four years ago and realizing how much growth I've had, not just in my business, but actually as a person, as an individual. 
But more important than that is I originally started this practice as a way to pay it forward. And what I mean by this is when I was first starting out, my first year in business was 2018. I started out as a freelance social media manager, very different business back then, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. So I wasn't sure, like, what are the appropriate rates to charge a a client or how do you structure a retainer or what are the types of softwares or expenses that might be helpful to spend my money on in my business that will actually help me grow and get ROI and learn and whatnot. So it was only through finding other people's income reports. There were two women who shared their income reports back then on a regular basis. And when I read their reports, it just expanded my mind and it allowed me to understand things that I just don't think I ever would have come across that information unless it was through my personal experience. And that would have taken so much more time. So it really shortcut my learning curve on the financial side of business. And that always really stuck with me. And I was like, I want more transparency and I want to pay that forward for other women. And we require so much financial transparency from our guests. I just didn't feel right not modeling that myself and leading the way. So that's kind of the why behind it. You and I have the same heartbeat. And that's why I ask these rapid fire questions. That's why no matter if the conversation on the podcast isn't specific around money or finances, Mm -hmm. I believe that so many of us, we idolize, even if we don't even know how big of a deal people are, whatever, we're like, they have a podcast or they're on a podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, the listener, I feel I do that. And so to be able to just ask some questions around money and -hmm. expose part of our stories and part of our relationship, I just think it is so helpful in like Mm -hmm. what you said, growing our financial IQ and giving ourselves grace in spaces that we need to get creating self-reflection around money. Just, I think it's so important and it is so crazy to me. And I always, I talk about this as well of like how recent history has started to change with women in our relationship to money, the seventies and sixties being like when we started to make significant legislative change, Mm -hmm. a woman couldn't open her own credit card until the seventies without a man. Right. And that is not that long ago and we still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And so Yeah, I'm so grateful that you are using your platform to do that. And thank you. Thank you for doing that and modeling that and for the shortcut that you're creating for other women. Thank you so much. Yeah, the advocacy work is huge. And you're right. It's really not that long ago. It's very recent history. And I don't think a lot of people actually realize how recent. Yeah. Yeah. In some of my talks that I do, I bring up these stats. And it's really interesting, like looking at the faces of the women They're Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? Yeah, it's crazy, right? And we can look at it as we got a long way to go and we do and this isn't that far. And I had Emily King. I don't know if you know her, but she's one of my friends and she's amazing. And I love her posture at it too is also we are now the generation to be able to make the most money as Mm -hmm. women ever in history. And I always say it too, as a female entrepreneur, which that's who our listeners are, we are on the front lines of making that change and continuing to shift history because we're the ones gutsy enough to go to the market and say something that we produce or a service we give is worth money. And then we also have the ability to go and make more of it by raising our prices, adding things to our product suite, all of that. So Anyways, I could go on and on about that, but let's get into our rapid fire questions as we wrap up the episode. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) Nervous, but ready. (laughs) Ellen, what is your earliest memory around money and how has that impacted you? I think my earliest memory around money is because I'm an immigrant and my dad, you know, is fluent in English, but still with our home life, my mom was our primary caretaker and she came to this country literally knowing one sentence. And it was, I don't understand. I don't speak any English. Can you please call my husband? That was literally all she knew at first. And so a lot of growing up, I had to kind of step in at an early age. I can remember as early as nine, having to get on the phone with bills, credit card companies, utilities, and having to negotiate and translate and advocate for my parents as a child. And so I was very aware of money from a young age. How do you think that's impacted you now, that part of your story? I think part of it's been positive in the sense that I feel very comfortable using my voice and having conversations about money, I think. But on the other end, I think because I was so acutely aware of our financial situation as a child, I think it's also placed a lot of undue and self-imposed stress 
on myself because I've always kind of viewed, even as literally as an elementary kid, I would think of my parents' money as my own and it really would stress me out. I felt responsible if we couldn't afford something or, you know, were we going to be okay? What's our future look like? I took on all of that burden and it wasn't because of my parents' fault, but just being exposed to it in a way that I didn't have a lot of guidance. I kind of just like self-manifested these stories about money. Mm. I love that you're able to see the positive and the challenge. Yeah. What's a money moment that you are most proud of? Oh, there's quite a few. I think one of my earliest proud moments was graduating college debt-free. I had about $20,000. Thank you. I had about $20,000 of loans entering into my senior year of college. And I made a goal to myself that I was going to pay it all off before I walked across the stage at graduation. And through three jobs, a lot of scholarship applications, I did it. Heck yes, baby. I love that. I love that hustle. I sold books door to door to help pay for college. I didn't walk across the stage debt free, but it certainly helped. (laughs) Wow. That's really impressive. That takes guts. That takes guts. It it formed a lot of character in me. That's for sure. If I were to give you a hundred thousand dollars right now, what would you do with it? Oh, that's hard. Um, from a personal perspective, I probably would invest it in my financial independence goals, right? Because that would help really accelerate that. But from a more like community perspective, honestly, I think a lot of times when we get money, it's easy to kind of expand outwards and go, oh, I want to give it to my favorite charity or I want to donate to this cause I really am passionate about, which is amazing. But we often ignore our own, to put it in like manufacturing terms, our own supply chain, meaning we don't look in our own backyard and go, okay, but what if we put this money towards taking care of our team first? Like, are we investing in their retirements? Are we giving them a raise? Are we doing these things that help build their futures as well? Because when you take care of the people who are taking care of you, it all is like a ripple effect, right? So that's actually probably what I would utilize it for is investing in my team. So beautiful. What's been one of your hardest lessons around money? That if you just chase it for the sake of earning it, that there's never enough. Um, Because there is no goal that you can hit where there's not a better goal, right? It's kind of like that thing that can't be satisfied if you feed it and it becomes this monster in you that just wants more and more and more. I recently listened to a podcast that recommended a book. I think it's called Die With Zero or Die With Nothing. I can't remember. But it was this amazing concept of your goal in life should be to trade all of your dollars in your lifetime for experiences, for causes, for things that Fill your life with life points, not money points, because at the end of the game of life, right, the score is not how many money points I accumulated, it's how many life points I accumulated, and your goal is to trade them. And so we often think we're just trying to accumulate wealth, but wealth can't come with you. So what are you actually utilizing it for in your lifetime while you're still here? I love it. And it goes along with what I teach so often, which is money just amplifies your values. Mm -hmm. And so often we think, oh, I shouldn't desire money. I shouldn't desire, but I feel like what I teach and what you're saying right now is money creates the moments, the memories, the different Mm -hmm. things. And so if you really care about traveling or you want to do this thing for your family or for your community, that's what Mm -hmm. you're going to do with money. And that's what we should do with money. And I love that. All right. Last question, Ellen, if you're being real bougie, what are you going to splurge on? Oh, that's easy. First class international flights. I am a bougie traveler. I've I've historically always been like, let's sit in economy and get the cheapest ticket possible. But again, my perspective has been shifting because it's like when you penny pinch on things just for the sake of penny pinching, you are actually sacrificing your best years. I'm in almost last year of my 20s. So I'm fairly young, Gosh, right? You are so <laughs> young. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I'm 29. So Anyways, there's this perspective of you're probably at your healthiest between your 20s and let's say 40s or 50s, right? And then everything from that on, no matter how great of health you take or how great of care you take of yourself, your health naturally will decline as you age. So it's during this prime moments in your life, if you're trying to sacrifice just so you're like, oh, I saved an extra $200 on this, let's say plane ticket, but you're miserable the entire flight. That money is better spent on creating an experience that will have infinite ROI. Like when you think back, every time I thought back on any of my trips, I have never once 
thought about how much money I spent on the trip. It was always like, oh, remember when we walked to the streets of Greece at night and that thing happened? Or do you remember when we went to that one cafe? And, you know, you think of these memories that have joy and returns in your life and it's not about the money anymore. And so I think I'm starting to learn that as someone who's always been really frugal and held on tight to money, I'm learning to let go and understand some things actually are worth spending money on because it's the memories that you create. Yeah. I love that. I love to challenge people to think about why their first response is I would never pay for that. Mm. And so one little thing I do now and I'll never not do is I always pay for when I go to the airport, I'm always going to pay for the garage. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even know Um, that was really an option. We always grew up parking in the economy lot parking lot and then you have to lug all your luggage onto this bus and it can be really hot or really cold depending on what time of year it is in indianapolis then you gotta go and now we have kids it's just like a whole thing and one of our friends who was a previous business partner of ours i just saw him go walk up the escalator and i'm like wait i didn't even remember that was an option and it's not even that much more i mean it right like it's $9 for a day in the economy. It's 20 bucks, but it's funny, right? So some people will be, why would you do that? I'm like, yeah, you just went to the convenience store at the airport and mindlessly spent $50 on snacks mm-hmm. and drinks and all that with your kids. That literally would have covered the luxury mm-hmm. of just parking in the garage. Anyways, I think that many times we have to think about why is our initial response? I'm not going to do that. I won't spend money there or that's silly. And think about like, actually, it's really nice to have super nice plush towels. You use them every day. Yes. Spend extra money on that. Yes. I, I just, yeah, I love I, that. I love that. It, it's so true that your priorities and where you're bougie in life, quote unquote, will look different, right? Because I prioritize memories created through travel and I'll spend more money there, but I don't spend a lot of money on other things that people might value like jewelry or purses or those things. I just don't spend a lot of money on that type of stuff because it doesn't matter to me as much. So it really is all, you know, relative, but I, I love your perspective on that. Money is meant to be used, right? For convenience, for joy, for purpose, for giving back. It's not meant to just sit there and saving yourself $10 extra a day at the end of your life doesn't actually really matter. <laughs> like in the grand scheme of it's things. It's just funny because you'll <laughs> easily pay for that not even think about it for a couple cocktails at the bar, but yeah. all of a sudden we put it in this context and it's way too bougie. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you, Ellen, for this whole conversation. Thank you for being so transparent, open about your own story around money and some things there. It's been such a joy to have you. Where can people find you? I know we've mentioned your podcast a couple of times. We'll yeah. definitely send that link for people who might be interested in your, your template for pitching, but Let's do one more time to sort of mention where people can find you, where you're most active. Absolutely. Well, for the perfect podcast pitch template, you can just go to ellenyin.com slash perfect podcast pitch. And then for just connecting with me personally, come say hi on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. My personal account is at Miss Ellen Yin. And then our brand account is at cubicle to CEO. Are you a creative entrepreneur looking for next level support when it comes to your money mindset and management? It's time to get on top of your numbers once and for all. Do you want to upgrade your lifestyle, make a bigger impact in the world, or gain more time back into your day? Your big dreams are all coming back to one thing, money. So I've developed a secret sauce money matrix formula to combine the power of an abundance mindset with money management tools specifically for creative entrepreneurs like you. Stop hiding from your numbers and start getting strategic. Head to www.erinbridgman.com to learn everything you need to know about my coaching programs. It's time to completely transform and change the way you view and manage money so you can show up like the wealthy woman you are meant to be. Apply to work with me one-on-one at www.erinbridgman.com.